0: It's so awesome to be with you today. Um, Those that have known me for many years know that today is one of my absolute favorite days of the year uh, because we got the hour back that the government stole earlier on in the spring. It messes me up every year. My wife, after about 20 some odd years of complaining about it, said, all right, I've had enough. I know you don't like it. That's enough. But she does allow me to gloat that I get it back in the fall. So this is a great day. Uh, it's beautiful outside. Uh, it's not without its challenges. went to pick up my son this morning, and he says, Hey, Dad, you've got stuff falling out of your truck. And I was like, Oh, really? And looked underneath, and sure enough, had stuff falling out of my truck. But thanks be to God, had another vehicle, was able to switch out and get here. So that was all all good. So life is is real, isn't it? but it's real to celebrate some things I, I was so encouraged thank you duane for putting that dry erase board out in the front when i came in and 75 74 pounds of coats that have been i'm not sure how many coats that is i don't normally weigh my coats but uh that's a lot of coats that got to collected that are going to be given away through the care ministry and i'm really excited about that i talked to um I mean, kind of keeping up on what's been going on Wednesday night with the, with the ladies, and they're just finishing up Psalm 23, so excited, and I love that we sang that song about God's mercy pursuing us, because that's part of that, that song of praise, and, and it, I don't know whose idea it was to read that at funerals, but whoever it was probably got reprimanded when they got to heaven, because that is a life psalm, not a death psalm. I know it says death in it, but if you remember the psalm at all, it says, though I walk through the valley, so you're getting through that valley, and the death is shadowing, but there's a meal on the other side, so it, I'm not sure how it got to be put in funerals, but I'm so happy that uh, the ladies here really broke it apart, and are allowing the, just the truths contained there, and to just really encourage them met some new people today and that's awesome. Got some friends here and some family, extended family here as well. So I'm really, really excited to be with you. I I, I need to get all this out because I'm serious. This day really wires me up. I'm like stoked all day long. People barely keep up with me and prior folks would know, hey, he's going to preach forever today. So I'll try not to do that to you. But it's just really, really exciting to be be here with you. I want to remind you of some things that are really crucial that we remember as God's people in this place. Our mission here is a real threefold mission, and, and our focus has to be really con- constant on these three things. Jesus told us that we have to love other people the way, especially other Christians, the way that who loves us? the way that he does, the way that Jesus does. And so that's something we got to keep in our minds constantly because people will challenge us, even people who are Christians will challenge us in that way because we won't want to love them like Jesus loves them. We want to love them like we love them, which is not at all right now because they're annoying or hurting or whatever. Uh, we, We just really need to remember that our commission as followers of Jesus Christ is to love other Christians in particular We're supposed to love everybody, especially our neighbors as ourselves. and there's no if they're Christians or not, but we are known as followers of Christ, not by our church denomination, not by our location of worship, not by the clothes that we wear, the haircuts that we have, thank God for that for me, um, but by our love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's absolutely crucial that we keep that in the forefront of what we're doing. The second thing that we need to remember is that we receive healing through repentance. It's always easier to blame somebody else for our problems. Uh, and there's lots of, ex- lots of examples of, uh, of that, and I can give them all day long. We all do it. You know. We, we do not like to take responsibility for the things that are in our lives. We like to blame it on somebody else. But when we realize that there's things, even if the problem is not caused by us in particular, there's things that we've done to add to it. Or maybe something that's just completely unrelated. When we repent, when we say, God, I agree with you that this thing about my life is wrong and I'm going to turn from it and follow you. We receive healing as a result for that. Jesus promises through his servant John that when we confess our sin, that he is both faithful and he's just to forgive our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so that last part, that cleansing part, is that healing that comes when I recognize that there's things that I'm doing that are outside of God's design for my life. And that's really wonderful that God wants to heal us. It's not just this thing that happens when we're sick. It's this thing that happens every day when we realize when we're out of step with where God wants us to be. And the third thing that we've absolutely got to remember is that Jesus is about the mission of calling this world into being in his family. And we've got to join him in that mission. And for each one of us, that's a little bit different because we're different people, right? Right. So if you look around, you see people that are different than you. If you know them, you know just exactly how much different they are than you. But if you're part of God's family, one of the promises that he has for every single person, every single member of God's family, is that you have a specific place and a specific purpose in this big thing that he's doing. And I've explained that to you, and I explained it to you, and I'm going to continue to explain it to you because we as Christians don't really believe it. We think that the people that are in authority or the people that are teaching or the people that are really gifted those are the those are the people that God has special purposes for mom well, I'm, I'm gonna just tell you that is wrong and it's a lie Satan has been foisting that for many 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 years and I, I'm gonna just make it real bottom line for you the price that's paid for every person who's relieved of their sin's power and the sin's penalty in their life is the same. We just sang about it. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. So just think about that. Would you pay the highest price that could be paid for anything for something that's not usable? Would you? Would you take the most valuable resource that you had and go pay for something that was useless to you with that very resource that you could not get back? There's not a person here that would do that period. We don't do that. We know better. And so if God paid that price to rescue you, he's got a place and a purpose for you. And we need to be about that mission, each one individually and together as God's people. Now we're working our way through Ephesians, and and I hope that you brought your Bibles with you. We're in chapter 4, and we're going to begin at the 17th verse. And I'm going to share with you something when, when, when we get to, to the end of our time together and into the teaching time that really revolutionized my walk with Jesus Christ. I, I was brought into church as, as a child. You know, I know I had a pre-church time and a post-church time. I remember my parents before they came to know Christ and I got to know them after they na- came to know Christ. So I count that as a great privilege because for me, I know the transforming power of Christ. I know it in my own life and I've seen it in my folks' life and I've seen it in other people's life. Sometimes when we grow up in an environment that's kind of a churchy environment, then we start stop to stop seeing that transforming power of Christ. And I love listening to people's stories of how God has changed them, even if they weren't, you know, wonderfully despicable people, but that God still changes us into being more and more in the image of his son. So that when we get to see him face to face, we're really reflecting his glory, like, again, we just sang about. So I'm going to share with you these things, and the reason why that was able to click, even though I'd been a Christian for a couple of decades, by the time I was introduced into this truth, is because I knew about this passage. I knew this passage, but didn't really understand the the fullness of the truth that it contained. Um, you can call me thick or slow or whatever. It doesn't matter. It's true. I'm just being honest. I'd read this passage. I knew this passage. I know by heart phrases from this passage, but... I just didn't really get it. And so we're we're in this series of of growing uh, to really be God's family and to be real family and not just to be that family that comes and be nice to each other for an hour on Sunday and then whatever happens in life, but really genuinely being connected. And one of the ways that we can be connected is by walking with each other, understanding what's going on in each other's life, being involved in what's going on in each other's life more than just an hour or two on Sunday morning. So, Ephesians the 4th chapter the 17th verse, Paul is writing to the churches in Ephesus and it will remind you he's writing from jail, he's in chains, and he's just sharing the joy that he has with the Lord even in the most difficult circumstances. So he says this, with the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly what? Confused. Now, People say, you know, if you're a Christian, y'all got to be nice all the time. You don't read the Bible if you think that. You know, there, there's truth that will fall outside of the niceville. And Paul is going to lay it on thick. He is saying that people that are outside of Christ, even people who are successful, even people who have power, even people who have money, even people who have influence, if they don't have Christ, they are hopelessly, What? confused. All right. Not nice but true. For their minds, he explains, are full of darkness. They wander far from the life that God gives because they've closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. Now, of all the phrases in this passage that were are applicable and they're all applicable this one in this day and age is particularly applicable, isn't it? We've lost, as a culture, any sense of shame. And because we've lost any sense of shame, our behavior is becoming more and more and more and more obscene. And I'm not just talking about sexual obscene, which that is very true. I saw some of the Halloween costumes that the rich and famous wore, definitely sexually obscene. They just exult in it. There's no shame at all. But how about, I read an article this morning of about two junior high kids who walked in the hall with another junior high kid and punched the kid in the head. No, there was no fighting. They were, they were, they were pranking. They were, they were what we call being bullies, what we called in my day and age was being jerks. Hit the kid in the head, hit him hard enough, he crumpled to the ground, but when he crumpled to the ground, he hit his head, and it killed him. So we have two junior high murderers. It was caught on video, and of course they've claimed that that's, you know, they're not guilty. We have video of the the thing happening all the way to the child's death. no sense of shame no sense of shame i mean as a 13 year old if i had killed somebody even if i didn't mean to do it even if i was being a jerk i would be overwhelmed with a sense of shame that i caused the death of somebody else and instead it's like we're not responsible and so we're going to continue to see this happened. And folks, this is why the church is so important, because we know better. We know to be ashamed of things. We know to say things are wrong and that there's sin and there's things that need to change about me so that this world is a better place. But when we're put in a corner and we allow that and we shut up and we behave badly to each other, we behave just like people who have their minds darkened, even though that we know better, then there's no hope for this world. We don't have to tell people that they're wrong to cause shame. We need to live well. And God's designed us with the ability as human beings to understand when there's somebody who lives well alongside of them and they're giving glory to God, that that will create that shame, that shame God uses by the power and the presence of his Holy Spirit to cause conviction. And that conviction comes to that place when they cry out to God for salvation and then they're radically transformed and begin to join the movement. But if we do not remember our own shame and why we have it, what hope is there for this world? We have junior high boys punching people in the heads. And in case you know, this is a a thing in our culture right now. Some lady in New York, same thing. Somebody walked behind her, punched her in the head, knocked her over. She was 79 years old, 80 years old. No shame. No shame. No shame that we declare that we're going to do these little fun little things to be absolute jerks and we injure people for no reason at all. Didn't know the lady, had nothing against her, she was just there. And so, oh yeah, and those were girls, by the way, who punched an old lady in the head and knocked her down. Crazy. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But, but that isn't what you learned about who? Christ. Since you heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit do what? Renew what? Your thoughts and your what? attitudes. That like covers most of life, doesn't it? Because what I think affects my attitude. If I think that I'm having a tough day, guess what? I got a bad attitude. If I think that I'm having a tough day, but I'm blessed, my attitude remains in congruence with the Lord's Spirit. It doesn't change the fact I'm having a tough day, right? But it changes the way I respond to it. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Now he's going to continue on, but we're going to, going to, to stop here, and I'm going to break these things down for you. And I'm, I'm just warn you, I'm going to say some things. Some of you may say you've already said some stuff, but I'm going to say some things that are just kind of hard. And I'm not picking on you because those that know me know that I'm picking on me too. Truth is truth, and it bites us all. And so if you feel your toes a little bit uncomfortable, I had a good friend that said, um, get your feet out of the way. <laughs> so just move it out of the way, because in Jesus, you can. You can. When there's that, those times of uncut discomfort, you can move them out of the way because he's given you the power to do that, to live the way that he has designed you to live. So let, let's go back through this passage just bit by bit and and so i'm gonna encourage you to look back up to verses 17 and 18 i want to make some observations with you i want you to know that our natural inclinations are useless They're, they're just useless and you say well you know that's not really true you know i i get hungry i eat you know there's some things that aren't useless i mean it keeps me alive that's true that's true and if we just looked at things from a very temporary standpoint that would be very much true right now you are inclined to breathe thank you for doing that because it gets really awkward when people stop breathing in congregations like this so that's a natural inclination right you're naturally inclined to think thank you for doing that because i believe that god has given us that mind to do that but let's Move out from the moment. All the breathing, all the eating, all the doing good, all the working, all the loving, all of everything that you have with your days, weeks, years, decades, in the end, matters what? If this is all it is, it's useless. And one of the things that's really growing at a rapid pace in our culture is people that genuinely believe that's true. I mean, they don't necessarily have to be terrible people. They just know that when they're dead, it's over. And that everything that they've done really in the big picture is useless. And this is the the viewpoint that Paul is coming from. He's saying, isn't the thing that you're doing right now you know, if you want to go from A to B and you get in a vehicle and you move the vehicle from A to B, that's useful. But he's saying that when you add up all of those things that we do, all of that effort that we do, all of the money that we do, everything that we do, in the end, if it's just the end, now that's that's hard, isn't it? But it's true. And what, what we need to understand is, is that's the majority of this world that's living that way. It doesn't make them just horrible. It just puts into perspective all of the effort that is happening in the end is for nothing if there isn't something beyond the end. Our natural thoughts, Paul writes in verse 18, are dark and did well particularly in 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 this world and in in our culture uh there are many who would argue very violently against this truth and they would point to all sorts of things the advances in medicine the advances in science the advances in transportation technology all of these things all of these things And arguably so. I mean, we've been able to eradicate some really terrible ways of dying in the last hundred years and been able to extend healthy existence for periods of years over the last hundred years. I mean, it hadn't all been bad, right? But again, Paul is drawing the 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 question it's a big question for what purpose for what purpose we're in a big fight about this right now in our culture aren't we you know everything's about climate change right and uh politically i don't care where you fall on the the spectrum i really don't care because i know biblically what our responsibility is you know god said to adam and eve here's the planet you rule over it and tend it or take care of it. So I don't need a scientist to tell me that doing terrible things to damage the planet's a bad thing. I I don't need one because I have God who said, this is a gift I'm giving to this creation, humanity, and as a gift, I'm giving you the authority and the responsibility to take care of it. So... I've had my politically conservative friends get really angry at me about this and my politically liberal friends get really confused about it because they think that all Christians cannot be environmentalists because they're politically conservative or something like that and I've been able to tell both of them really you need to pay attention to me not because I've got anything new to say but because I know who said it first and he said this is my gift to you take care of it and so we need to take care of it but we're we're in this big fight and we want to save the planet and and stop climate change and do all these things and and i'm wondering why you know there's a whole group of people that think this planet would be a lot better if all humans were gone except for them of course but Right? You yeah. uh, know? I mean, I can go on and on and on, but I, I don't want to just bore you. But as believers, we're, we're encouraged to think. And I think about these things all the time, not because I'm super smart. It's just because, A, that's how God wired me, and B, that's part of my responsibility as a Christian is to think. You know, if all there is is this, then who cares if we destroy it? What does it matter? Well, think about your grandchildren. I have grandchildren. If all I'm encouraging them to do is to get through a life and then die for nothing, what's the point? Really, what's the point? And there are many who have taken that to its furthest extent and behaved as if that was really true. And all sorts of wickedness comes out of that. But see, my mind is alive. And my understanding is enlightened. Why? Because I'm well-educated. No, because I'm well-loved. By the one who loved me so much, he didn't leave me in that darkness. He didn't leave me in my own sin. He didn't leave me in my own thought processes that make whatever I'm doing really valuable, even though I know at the very end it's absolutely worthless. All of those things got changed... Because of Christ, making my thoughts no longer dark, making my understanding no longer without reason. But Paul (laughs) has no mercy making his point. He says at the end, or actually the second half of verse 19, why things are the way they are? And that is because our natural emotions are self. Focused for self what? Gratification. You know, I'm doing this for me. Again, people argue, well, I know this person. They're always serving other people, always doing other things and those kinds of things. And they're working hard to make, make life better for other people. You know, what, what, what about them? Um, I love those people. I love that our planet has those people because it would be really a much more terrible place to live than otherwise if they were all taken away regardless of their following Christ or not following Christ. Where there's good, it is good and I'm grateful for it. I am and, and you should be too, to be honest. You should be too. But at the bottom level, if we don't live for the glory of God, we're only living for us. You know, I do those good things if I'm not doing it for God's glory for me because it makes me feel better or makes my life easier or whatever it is. It's always for me because there is nothing else to be for. There, there just isn't. Well, I'm doing it for my family. Well, why are you doing it for your family? Because it makes you feel better. Are you following me? I mean, it just, that's the way it is. And that's why being in Christ is so radically different. And that's why Paul says this big but. He says, but Jesus changes everything. Verse 20, but that isn't what you learned about Christ. This is what's normal. This is what's familiar. This is what we experience in this world. He lays it out and he does it in a particularly brutal manner. But he says, there's a difference here. There's a big but here. And that big but is Jesus. Don't tweet that, people won't get it. It's out of context, okay? (laughs) He changes everything. And that's another thing that I think that we're forgetting as followers of Christ, is we think that Jesus changes our Sunday mornings. Or that Jesus changes our language, or Jesus changes our spending habits, or Jesus changes our attitude, or Jesus changes this or that or the other thing. Folks, the Jesus that we serve, the Jesus that we've gathered together to sing praises to, that we have are talking about now in conversation back and forth. And by the way, thank you for having that conversation with me. That Jesus changes everything everything because he rules everything he holds everything together that's how big he is period and if he's any smaller than that let's just lay it out on the line he's not worth serving i I, I love it when people come at me with this humans invented god and i always i love this conversation because they've just teed it up and i got a big old bat for that one because you know what humans have been inventing gods as long as we have history they've been inventing those gods those gods are mean those gods are sexual those gods are crazy you know those gods are all sorts of things and i can i can fill books with descriptions of all these gods that humans have created but the one that we could not create is the one that we've come to worship we couldn't do it There's no way that any of our imaginations would be big enough or consistent enough to create this God, the one who spoke the world into existence and the whole omniverse, the one who saw his precious, beautiful, absolutely perfect creation marred by rebellion against the one thing, one thing that he said, you got to remember, you're not God. Yeah. And they said, well, you know, we kind of got control of everything that we can see. And so... You know, maybe we are God and we'll do our own thing. And yet, in the midst of that, rather than just saying, well, you're not God, so there you go. I've got billions of other planets that I can pay attention to. He made them something to wear. He gave them a place to be. He said that he would walk with them and he continued to do that. And he does that to this very day. Do I need to go on to who he was to David and to Joseph and to the prophets and who he was to Mary you know who came as this infant god in the flesh and you know she's having I just had a baby but this isn't a real baby this is kind of a the something other baby because I got I didn't have a man and I got a kid and this doesn't make any sense you know when you start thinking of things in the reality in which they happen we don't invent that stuff because we can't The best thing that Satan's been able to do all of these millennia of human history is to ape who God is. And whatever it's ape, you know, there's other Immaculate Conception stories. You probably may have not heard them, but they're there. Star Wars Episode I had one, as a matter of fact. Did. They're there, but they're always marred. They never make it. There are many who are part of the religion of Star Wars. There are many in this country, in this culture, in this world. But they will pass away because their God cannot manage it because he's an invented God. Our God will remain because we didn't make him up. And we can't. You just can't do it. So here are the changes that receiving this God to be the God of us makes in our life. Since you've heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes through him, Paul writes in verse 21, throw off your sinful nature and your former way of life. So in Jesus, rather than being inclined to self-gratification, self-deception, self-this, self-thelves, now we're all of a sudden inclined to truth. Which comes in like really weird packets, like just said something and I really shouldn't have said that. Not because I'm getting negative feedback, but because I know in my spirit that that wasn't the right thing to do. And so that's true. And then I'm, I'm like preemptively saying, you know what? I just said something, and now that I hear it in my ears that came out of my ha- mouth, uh, please forgive me, that's not what I should have said, or it's not how I should have said it, or whatever it is. You know, that's the kind of practicality that being inclined to truth makes. We love to make it something esoteric, something religious, something kind of out there. But when it's real in our lives, that's when the power of Christ, that transforming power, really starts to take a measure in who we are. And so, now I'm struggling with this thing. that I never struggled before. You don't know, like if I just said something and it was kind of off, it's like, well, deal with it. You know, it's <laughs> so just the way it is, right? But in Christ, I'm inclined to truth. And that's changing in me every day. In Jesus, our thoughts are completely renewed. They're no longer dark. They're no longer self-deceiving. They're no longer lacking understanding. And now, even though I might be doing the exact same thing that I'm doing before, I'm looking at it at a completely different way. I experience this every day at work. I'm in the transportation industry, which bottom line is moving stuff from point a to point b doesn't take a rocket scientist to do that right that's what it is now it's much more complex than that but that's just to make me feel good not to still moving stuff from a to b but because i'm a follower of christ on monday I don't look at it moving stuff from A to B. I look at it in the opportunities of all the people that I deal with between A and B. And how can I reflect the goodness of God to them in such a way that they come to understand him a little bit more. And in coming to understand him a little bit more that that Holy Spirit work of conviction happens in life. And they get to be part of his family and get to do the very same thing. That's weird. But it's Jesus' way of looking at your work. So when I clean toilets... I looked at it the same way. There's nobody there. Thank God. I'm just cleaning the toilets, but I'm approaching it from a different standpoint. When I did plumbing, when I worked in a grocery store and when I pastored a church, all of those things are radically transformed when we understand what it is that Jesus is doing because he's renewing our way of looking at things even when i had a job that was so stressful i was literally physically ill almost every day when i went to work because my boss was such a jerk i mean he was a jerk no ways he was a jerk that didn't know jesus but he was a jerk and you what? that second phrase made the first have perspective it didn't make him any less of a jerk but it allowed me to live in such a way that my primary concern wasn't to avoid his jerkiness. My primary concern was to live in such a way that would reflect the only thing that would change him from being a jerk into anything else, and that is Jesus. So that's what I'm talking about, folks. I'm not talking about taking on some new religious thing, starting a new diet, all those kinds of things. We're talking about real transforming power that comes in Christ. And that comes when he's changing the way we think about things, changing about the way we think about school, the way we think about our work, the way we think about our relationships, the way that we think about our neighbors, the way that we think about our transportation, everything. If we allow the Holy Spirit to have free reign in our lives, God will change us from the inside out. And it's awesome. It's a a job and it's not always fun, but it's awesome. In Jesus, our emotions seek to reflect who Jesus is in us. I saw this in the, the life group this morning that I got to attend, a great privilege, and uh, Rick was leading and, as he does and, and just sharing, different people shared different letters that they'd written to God, and I got in on the tail end of that because uh, I was late because my truck broke down, but I was happy to be there. And uh, one of the things that was said in that that life group that just really just impacts me is, you know, I feel that this terminal condition I have is a gift. That's challenging, folks. But the only way that we can genuinely feel that way, because it doesn't take away the realities of the pain and the embarrassment and the, the deficiencies and all those things of life, and we've all got different things, right? The only way that our emotions can be changed about that is if our primary concern is, how am I going to reflect Jesus to other people? But let's let's be honest, we're kind of hit and miss with that in our Christianity, aren't we? So we oftentimes really want to reflect our emotions that are in us because somebody just cut us off on 471 or, you know, our boss just for the 50th time asked us to do the same thing that he's asked us to do before that we don't have the resources to do and can't possibly do if we could. A lot, you know, just life. We want to push that back. That's reality, isn't it? But Jesus changes even those things and we genuinely can feel differently about him because of who he is in our life. Now, I promised I was going to share with you um, something that really radically transformed my life decades after I came to know Christ long after I'd studied his word and it really I knew it to be true because of this passage I'm gonna share with you two uh triangles because I'm not artistic enough to make a funnel it was shared with me as a funnel but I just don't have funnel skills so you you get a triangle now the way that I understood can you you even pull that one back up for me the way I understood my Christian life is that when I came to know Christ I was this big sinner and I was separated from God In fact, there was even this little yellow-oranges pamphlet that had a picture of it. You know, Jesus is over here, and I'm over here, and there's this big gap in between, and so the cross makes it possible for me to go one place to the other. So that's how I understood it. And there's truth in that. When we come to know Christ, even if we're very young, our sin is great. It's going to cause us to die eternally. And we are separated from God because our heart is dead to him. That's that's true. And so the idea, I don't think it was ever taught to me, but I had this idea that the more I came to know Jesus, the less sinful I would get, and then the less separated from God I would get because I'm not as sinful as I was before. And then at the very end of my life, if I live a long life, I'll be practically perfect in every way, just like Mary Poppins, and get to go to heaven, right? And, And, well, thank you, somebody, for saying no, because that's what I thought. That's what I thought. I, you know, it was just like, this is not the truth. But I didn't understand that for a couple decades until at the conference I was with with a couple of other brothers and sisters in Christ. This guy drew this funnel and he flipped it around. He said, this is really what there is. He says, when we, when we come to know Christ, give me the next one, it's actually opposite. We have no life in him and no devotion to him at all. And so our very first step of life and devotion is confessing that I'm a sinner and I need him to be my Lord and my Savior. And so that very first step into life happens. And then Jesus said, if any of you wants to be my, my disciple, you must first deny yourself, then take up your cross, and then follow me. And so what Paul is reading or having read to the church in Ephesus is the working out of that which Jesus told his disciples. You know, we're not just getting better and better and better until we're practically perfect in every way, and then we go to heaven. We're actually becoming more and more radically devoted to the one who gave such a high price to revolutionize us from the inside out. And so the older and older we get, the more and more we reflect the fullness and the power of Christ in us. And the longer and longer we are in Christ, then the easier and easier it is to throw off our old self, like Paul says, and to put on the new self, which is in Christ, which is renewed thoughts, different kinds of emotions, different kinds of way of dealing with this entire world than anybody else has because everybody else is self-deluded, self-deceived, and going self-gratification. It's the best they can do because in the end, it's all useless anyway. But every moment that we have as followers of Christ, every moment, I'm not there yet, but I'm telling you, it's true. I'm on the journey. Every moment is useful because Christ is in it. And we get to be part of that life. And folks, that makes gathering together to worship meaningful. It means gathering together for worship and to love each other for the sake of Christ meaningful it makes those things that we do on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday that maybe nobody else knows about other than God meaningful because of Christ and he changes everything and so my challenge to you is this take this understanding that was so evident I mean the guy put his little chart on there it was a lot nicer than my chart but I was like that's true and I've missed it all of these years I've been trying to be less sinful when I really needed to be more devoted. Because when I'm more devoted to Christ, those sins are going to fall away because I'm doing what he told me to do and not doing the things that I am inclined to do. And so I want to follow these saints that I have met and prayed with and been part of their lives who have achieved years. And the longer that they live, the more sweetness comes. They may have arthritis. They may have missing body organs. They may have buried, as one woman I know, six of her kids. I did the sixth funeral for her children. She was 90 years old and only had one left, had seven kids, and had lived longer than six of her seven kids. I I just, I didn't know what to say. I mean, what do you say to that? And I just, I I told her, I said, I'm supposed to be the guy, I "I don't know what to say. And she just looked at me simply and said, say that Jesus is good. Okay, (laughs) I can roll with that because you've given me permission to do that. And she was weeping for the loss of her sixth kid, but knowing that it was purposeful because she gets to spend eternity with them because of Jesus, and he changes everything, everything, and I need to hear that from somebody who was grieving. I felt dumb, but I was so happy. I want to be that person. I want to be that person who's in the nursing home, although I told my kids, poison me before you send me one of those places, but anyway, in the nursing home, my friend, she didn't even recognize her own grandkids. She's just barely in just barely there she'd gotten down to such a low weight that i could see her heart pulsing underneath her little nightgown that's just creepy but the only thing that she had left and the reason why i would go is they would call me and say she's really upset would you come and i would come i would open god's word and i would just read randomly from someplace in god's word and she would say at the midst of all of that suffering all of that pain She would say, oh, I love Jesus so much. Thank you for coming and giving me words of life. I remember sitting there, just tears hitting the Bible, thinking, I'm in the presence of God Almighty. Not because he is that person, but because he's in that person. And all she's got left is Jesus. She doesn't remember her kids, doesn't remember her grandkids, but she remembers Christ. And in maybe a minute, maybe an hour, maybe a day, She's going to sit to see him face to face. That's what we're called to do, brothers and sisters. That's who we're called to be. And he's willing and able to get us there. If we'll go. If we'll go. So we're going to have a time of, of, of response. And I'm going to pray over you. And if you'd like to stand and worship, I'm going to encourage you to do that. If you want to come and pray, I'm to encourage you to do that. If you want me to pray with you, I'm encourage you to do that. But these things I've told you are true their life and if you walk away having grasped at least some bit of it it will be worth every minute that you've spent father thank you for the privilege of being here lord thank you for your word that is so so practical thank you for being the god that's so big that I couldn't create you and nobody else could. And even if we did, we'd argue about it and tear you down in a minute anyway. God, I just pray that you would do the work that only you can do. I could never do. That you would transform in the way that only you will do. And that no program or preaching or book or anything could do. God, that you would do big things today for the sake of the glory of your name and just the pushing forward of the truth of your one and only son, Jesus Christ. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen.